0: Upon a now we want you to share with us our latest and greatest dream disneyland just go to action park there's no other park like it six flags great adventure it's not a world away paramount's king's island we will officially open universal studios florida hello i'm michael eisner
1: Now, here is your host. Hello, and welcome back to the Defunctland podcast. My name is Kevin Perger. Today, I am joined by a very special guest, Dan Lanigan, the host of Prop Culture. Dan, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Thanks for having me. I'm a big fan of
0: yours, and uh, I love what you've been doing with uh, your videos and your podcast. So, thanks for uh, for having me on. I'm I'm honored.
1: Well, I'm, I'm honored to have you on. That's how this, you gotta, I'm honored to have you on. That's, you can't, you no, can't no, throw no, it back at me. I'm honored to be on your show. <laughs> no, no, I'm honored. <laughs> well, no, the, uh, you know, I, I, I said it before we started, but I, I turned on prop culture. You know, I'm a, I'm kind of an avid Disney plus watcher. I'm just very interested in, you know, how any streaming service begins and, you know, what they decide. But I was, yeah. I, I saw the trailer and I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. And I saw there was a Muppet episode. And that's where I was like, oh, I got my defenses up. I was like, yeah, I, I know yeah. everything about the Muppet <laughs> movie. And then I watched it and it was so endearing and heartfelt and and authentic. And, it, you know, the thing that and, you know, we'll get into you know the work, but I just wanted to compliment you out of the gate is the thing that I love about. And I don't care about props is another thing. Like, I don't not okay. care, but it's one of those things that like. No, no, I get it. That like I get it. Seeing someone that is so passionate about something and so authentic and so and the, what the Muppet episode really did for me was like, OK, you're willing to to just go so deep. Like when you interviewed one of the the costume people for the Muppet workshop. Yeah. Well, no, I appreciate that. You know,
0: the thing about it is, is uh, although I come from. I say I come from, I really don't come from the world of reality and docu uh, series TV. I have spent some time in the last, you know, eight years working in this industry. Um, I personally um, wanted to come to this show or have always wanted to do this show the way that I would want to watch it myself. And I feel that g- being genuine is important and not talking down to, to, to the audience because I wanted a show that I would be happy with to watch myself. And I have pretty high expectations. Now I don't know if we got to where I originally planned with the show, but I am very happy with the way it turned out. Um, And if, and I say this with a big if, if we get a second season, we're hoping to do it even more, you know, uh, interesting and get into the details even more. Um but knock on knock on for Micah as that I'm here <laughs> in my my office that uh we get that chance. Uh but it, we're getting a lot of great positive feedback uh from folks like yourself that really come to it like, okay, I'm kind of interested in the Muppets, I I, I know this stuff and hey, I want to watch the rest of the series. And that's what we were hoping mm-hmm. for, especially you know, the idea of it releasing at once. Originally we were thinking it was gonna release all at once. And then we're told, no, it's going to be week by week. Okay, that's great. They'll spread out the, the release. But the idea of it being released all at once and people can come to the episode that they're most interested in the subject matter and then backtrack into the rest of the episodes and then maybe watch a movie you know, that they hadn't seen in a long time or maybe never saw because of our show, that was really an exciting idea. And I think we've, we've succeeded with that.
1: Uh, you totally did because you know that's that was my experience i think the i think muppet the muppet movie episode is listed as maybe the last or one of the last ones it is yeah in in the lineup um and you know i did the same thing i watched the who framed roger rapid episode because i have to because that's you know that's one also one of my favorite films although i did not i don't have the i don't have the knowledge so that one i was coming in i was like tell me about it and so that that was like uh that was incredible. And so then I of course right after that I was like time to go rewatch Who Framed Roger Rabbit and that's when I started to suspect that I was being manipulated. I was like hey, wait a minute, I'm I'm in the middle of, I'm halfway through Who Framed Roger Rabbit and I because of another series on the streaming service and I was like Yep.
0: Yep, yep. Well, I'll tell you that 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 is by intention and that was that was uh, me and my partner Jason Henry's original idea and pitch to Disney. But it's from not from a place of let's give them uh, ratings and let's give them more views. It's from a place of let's celebrate these movies. And if people are really celebrating these movies, they're watching them again. And that's, you know, I, it comes from a place of love for me and 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 my entire team. We love this stuff and we want people to to learn more about it and then we want people to learn more about the people that were worked worked on this stuff and and get into the the obsessiveness of why people like me collect because we love these movies so much that's why we collect i mean this stuff is all great and it's beautiful but it's because of the films that we collect and that i collect and and this is a way to kind of show that
1: i dug, i dug kind of the let's you know go from here to here to here the the maps uh of going from one spot to another, I guess my first question question um, was when you were developing the style for the show, you know, what were, what were some of the uh, try and maybe not trials, but some of the phases, you know, how how did it come about of like that, at least the style portion?
0: Well, we, we wanted a show, we, we, I've always wanted a show that was high end uh, visually, Um, you know, I come from a photographic background. Um, I was a still photographer for many years and, and I am, uh, while I'm producing the show, I'm also uh, working on my own projects to direct. I've directed a short film, uh, fan film of all things about Futurama. And then I've directed a a live action of all things with, with effects and and miniatures and, and creatures. And then, um, I also did uh, recently. I did a, a feature. I co-directed a feature, which is a mockumentary about the world of science spinning. So I'm always looking from a visual standpoint. So we we had one of the one of the touch points that we wanted to try and make it look like. And I don't know if we got as far as we wanted, but we wanted to make a, a visual representation of, of of what they did with salt, fat, acid, heat, which was a cooking show, and it was really beautifully shot. And we thought, you know this stuff is important to me and it's important to the people that are watching it. Let's try and make it look as beautiful as possible. And then from the format perspective, you know, the thought was we want you to see these pieces of art for what they are. They're art, you know, these artifacts are art, but they're, you know, they're important to people. We want people to kind of revisit these wonderful artists that or introduce them to these wonderful artists that they've never heard about uh, that built these amazing iconic pieces that you'll recognize from these movies, so, as we tried to figure out what's the best way to do that, and you know how much do we want to get into the what it takes to track these things down because we initially were thinking, oh maybe we'll 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 record some of the phone calls as we're talking to the people to get them on the show because that's part of the process, but ultimately that wasn't what was interesting about it what was really interesting you know and a broad sense and again we we you know our shows on Disney Plus it's it's meant to be a broad show for a, a large audience is is the nostalgia factor and the the emotional connection people have to these films and the people that work on these films so that's kind of became the core of the show and we worked around that still getting into the details but you know the thing about it is the show when we sold it it was originally pitched and sold as a one hour show and into, we actually had four episodes edited, not finally finished edited, but we had them built as one hour episodes. So when Disney decided they wanted to make it even broader, they felt that they needed to trim it down to closer to a half hour show. And we're not exactly a half hour, but that was the way. So we lost a lot of great detail that hopefully maybe at some point we'll be able to release little release little bits of, of of interviews because these interviews would go from
1: anywhere from 2 hours to 4 hours with these people for me as it's just funny because for me I because I understand that that broad appeal I know everyone is a not like me but I could have spent exactly. you know 2 hours on the sword guy I was like how did yep. <laughs> make a sword in front of me please I'll, I'll I'll spend 3 hours on that but you know I I also Honestly,
0: we could have had a 2 we, we literally with what we shot we could have had a, a 2 hour episode just on Tony yeah, it, it it's but again, you have to trim it down and you have to make it broader. But but uh, but, but yeah, what and, you did, and, what you
1: did that I think in the broad appeal is even though some of that stuff was trimmed down, we still got to meet the artists. And it and while oh, like, yeah. I while, while I think that, you know, seeing, you know, you when you when you see cast members or recognizable people, that's really cool. And I think that's really great. But I think what's really, really special is those people that you never hear about.
0: Well, I mean, that that was important to me. I, I wanted to make sure that, you know, the studio was interested in trying to uh, add as much uh, face appeal as possible to the show. Um, and and we probably we have more actors in the show than I initially envisioned. Uh, I, I think it was a great idea because they were really great moments with these people and it was great to meet i mean of course i want to meet all of anybody who works on a film including the actors and directors but you know my, my focus was always the people who you don't see the behind the scenes people the people that need to get a little bit of more love but ultimately i think our mix was good and uh, it gave us a nice interesting variety of of folks to talk to that you know you, you might not see or a different perspective from somebody you do know like the Christopher Lloyd sequence that we did in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I was very surprised when we're standing there with him in the costume and that he really, really, really wanted to put that thing on. He really wanted to dive into the (laughs) character. And I I hadn't seen that with anybody else before, but that is, you know, Christopher Lloyd's a fairly, uh, he's a, a, a quiet guy in conversation. And, um but when that costume came out, he really started to light up. It was great.
1: That's, I mean, that episode. So my my favorite, of course, is the Muppets because that's that's my that's my thing. But uh, the Roger Rabbit episode that made me appreciate that film so much differently because I've seen behind the scenes stuff, um, right. but I've never seen someone I don't know in I guess HD or just in, you know contemporarily walk around and show me like this like when the, the the taxi the the cab um yeah when when you went to the to the garage out in the in the desert and that uh yep charlie and, and the, dr-
0: place yeah
1: yeah and that driver just gets out there and show and just drives around and i could see the animation on top of it even though it wasn't there i was like wow this is i mean yeah. I just totally that's new Benny appreciation but yeah exactly. i know i was like that's that's the cab um I want to ask you the, the kind of typical question just to get a basis here is how did you get into props? And I saw somewhere that it might've had something to do with Disney MGM studios theme park.
0: I grew up in the Chicago area. Um, and I was a nerdy kid. I loved, uh, you know, playing with star Wars action figures and, uh, reading comic books. And I collected things like that. I was, you know, I was into that, uh, uh, if, watching Star Wars over and over, initially on sections of 8 millimeter film that my dad had, including Mary Poppins and lots of other little pieces of film that my dad was able to get. Um, but eventually early videotape and that kind of thing. So any anything I could watch on behind the scenes, because I love Star Wars, I loved Indiana Jones, any of that stuff, I thought was really interesting how they made these creatures and stuff. So as as I kind of grew up and and continued being interested in these things uh in my late teenage years uh actually early I was, I wanted what do you oh, you would know this when was uh the Hollywood Park when did that open
1: 89
0: I was just in finishing high school and I would go down to Florida and visit my brother who lives in Orlando every year uh before that and continue to do afterwards and when they opened that park immediately i'm thinking oh my gosh you know i've never been to flor i've never been to california i've never been to uh to um universal studios but this is disney's version of universal studios this is gonna be so cool i'm gonna learn so much about movie making well you know a little disappointed but when i got (laughs) down there but the 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 back lot tour where you, you know, you're driving around in these cars, uh, these, these trams, and you get to see all these vehicles that from movies that, you know, you know, they had a bunch of uh, different stages of Roger Rabbit's car. They had the Dick Tracy cars. They had a spinner from Blade Runner, which still does you know, blows me away that they actually had that, but they wanted to show something. off. They had, you know, a snow speeder from uh, Empire Strikes Back. And when you finish that ride, you went through this little museum, which would show different props from different films that they were promoting at the time, or just if they weren't promoting something, they would have something from their archive. So seeing that stuff blew me away. Like I went one time, I went and they had released uh, *Nightmare Before Christmas*, and I it just blew my mind because I just couldn't believe these little models. Everything you saw in the in the movie was built, and and at this scale. And not realizing they actually made other scales as well. But at the time, at this scale and all this amazing stuff, all the characters, there they are. And then they had stuff from mm-hmm. Indiana Jones and The Rocketeer and you know, just all these amazing films. And it just I became obsessed with it. So I kept every time I would go down there, I would photograph it and archive it, and then be looking on the early internet, uh, like you know, the, the BBSs and stuff, and trying to find out more about you know these props. And then in the early days of eBay, like before it was even eBay. I wanted buying a few props online and uh, that's what got me into it. And then I've been going ever since.
1: Back when 80 in 89, when the studios opened, and, you know, universal was also coming down the next year and all that, yep. you know, mm-hmm. um, it was kind of this little Renaissance or it was coming towards the end of it of this movie magic, you know, this, yeah. uh, when, when everything was behind the scenes and then eventually when DVDs came out and they had all the behind the scenes stuff on those. And now I feel as though we're kind of out of that era. Like we just assume yeah, everything's everything's digi- digital almost. So it's like, yeah. well, how much, uh, how long of a behind the scenes documentary of the, of the, you know, FX house could you show the VFX warehouse? Well, I think, um, I don't think,
0: I I don't think they find it as interesting before it was like value added uh, mm-hmm. way to get people to buy special editions of, of DVDs and that, right. and, and now it's, even though they might still have a lot of that footage, they're not necessarily putting it out there because they don't think people want it, but people want it. (laughs) Trust me.
1: Right. I think, I think I, I I definitely want it. I think a lot of people want it, but I think what makes, you know, prop culture and it has that broad appeal, as you mentioned, is because it's so um, it brings that human element that I think a lot of that behind the scenes when people are just going on films, maybe you get them halfway, but to see them in retrospect, that's so, Incredible. But uh, I'm I'm again moving ahead of myself to my next questions. Um but uh, MGM studios, you know, all these, you know, prop parks. I think these are so interesting. I don't know how, you know, we I've looked at a lot of, you know, a lot of my videos overlap with the whether it's Universal Studios or whether it's Disney MGM, these uh these parks that showed props. And they Mm -hmm. just and I've interviewed uh people that were in charge of, I, you know, just a few episodes ago on my podcast, I interviewed one of the people that was in charge of writing the spiels for the people that were showing off the props. And their right. whole job was, the, I mean, that was their full-time job because they had to um, constantly rewrite because, you know, it seemed like every week someone was going in and just taking a prop and putting in a new prop. Yep,
0: yeah, yep. Yeah. Both intentionally and 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 people that were going to the park to visit it we're taking pieces off of stuff oh yeah yeah we can talk about that later but yeah
1: what is the history necessarily of keeping these props you know i know the archives opened in this in 1970 i believe for disney yeah um but is this is this a new thing is this an old thing you know where was this where did the idea of keeping props and cataloging them come from and are we still doing it properly or have we you know is that are we Properly cataloging these things now, or are we still kind of letting them go to the four winds
0: well i I think studios always had a reason to keep props, but it was a practical reason it was a so they could reuse wardrobe in other in other films and other t v shows it could reuse props it could reuse set pieces with with sometimes minor modifications, sometimes no modifications, sometimes completely change it, but it was a way to save money. And they had all this space, so why not have a props department where you could you could go in and all of a sudden you could build a film pretty quick if you already have all this stuff, right? So that's where a lot of this a lot of these pieces got originally saved. And then as the studios shut down or people would rent things and they'd get lost. Um, sometimes people, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, so in the 1971, I think, the, I, I, off the top of my head, I can't remember exactly, but there was this big MGM auction when MGM was selling a bunch of uh, their property and, and and shrinking down their their footprint for their lot. And they sold a bunch, I mean, like three catalogs worth, of props and wardrobe from their archives that had gone back 30, 40 years, and that's how Debbie Reynolds, who was kind of the first celebrity—well, uh, I wouldn't say celebrity—but she was kind of the first heavily known collector of of memorabilia, and mainly it was costumes because she felt it was important. So you had that that happened, and then you have you know around that time, right right before it probably you have Dave Smith who starts the archive because he sees the writing on the wall. It's like, as these studios change and Disney was in a period of flux in the in the 70s, uh, the early 70s, you know, this stuff is going to get thrown out or it's going to be given away and we're never going to have this history. And this is the physical history of the film. You know, this is proof that this stuff was made. These are these icons of film. And so, he built that archive and then these other archives kind of got built around the idea that well, maybe there's some stuff we want to transfer from our renting it out uh department reusing it to well this is important to the company let's let's save this um and that's kind of how you know the other archives uh happened um yes there are better ways to to save things but there's so much material that's made for these movies and these tv shows there's no way you can keep it all and and I say that as a as a you know as a conserv a prop conservation person but there's no way you can save it all so if you can save the key pieces that are important to your company to your projects and then allow the fans to have access to stuff and do do auctions and stuff it helps advertise the film or the the show and then people can get a hold of stuff and then then ultimately there's always going to be stuff that gets thrown away because just the nature of of you know you can't store everything
1: but right yeah the uh and i i don't want to throw you on the spot here but you know in epcot there was this fireworks show called illuminations and it just closed yeah and they're auctioning off the barge if you want to go in on it with me we can we can split the fireworks barge i don't know how much it is but i think uh i think we could so what are we we could do we get when you say
0: split are you mean like literally not just pay for half of it but actually cut it in half well yeah is that well a,
1: no, could... no 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 50 50 kind of you know i'll I'll let you have it during the summer i'll have it during right. the fall um you know i gotta have firework you can have it during fourth of july the um yeah but you know i i see all these auctions and it's it's weird when it's uh theme park stuff and to me yeah. i think it's just it's different because uh because they just, I don't know. It's just, they're not I, necessarily iconic items. And I'm sure if you really get into the nitty gritty of the prop world, they, they auction off things that at first you wouldn't think that anybody would necessarily want. Um, True. But with theme parks, it seems like everything is something that nobody would necessarily want. But of course, people do. You know, when I saw that fireworks barge, I was like, I don't need it. But
0: the connection people have to props from film is exactly the same connection people have to props from, from the parks, or really any kind of remembrance. Because remember, you know, you go to a park and you're seeing this stuff, and it and and it's important to you. And then years later, you find out something's being sold. Now that's there's something important to you about that piece. You remember seeing that in person when you went down to the park, and is there's a chance for you to put it in your home and and, and appreciate it. I mean, that's, that's pretty cool. And the nostalgia of that's very strong. And, mm-hmm. and people, you know, and, and, and the beauty of a lot, having lots of different stuff available, some of it more iconic and recognizable than others, is it allows, you know, the market to kind of figure out where the prices are so that there are going to still be pieces for people that don't want to spend much money on something still to be able to get something and still have something that, you know, reminds them of, you know, a fun time when they were younger.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a really good connection, um, the the to make because for me, you know, I am like you know, you you put any theme park memorabilia in front of me, I'd say uh, I, I'd want to learn everything about it, and then I would want it myself if I could afford it. Yeah, right. Um, although I I wouldn't I wouldn't you know call myself a collector by any means because it's not necessarily something that comes up a lot. Uh That we're sure. not auctioning off of fireworks barges every day. Um, no, no,
0: no, no, no. <laughs> but I can guarantee you, there probably will never be another. Epcot fireworks barge for sale, so it's your one chance. Yeah. To go
1: out and get that thing. That's a, that is the scary thought. Um, it's funny. Yes. The uh, I do have one kind of interesting prop story. Uh, I have a I have a friend. His name is also Dan. Um, and uh, he calls me one day and he says, "Hey, uh, you know Muppet Vision, you know Muppet Vision 3D in California 3D, Adventure yeah. is closing. Um, and they're auctioning off a bunch of the stuff." And, uh, if you, he said, if you have $200, we can go in and we can, you know, we can get something together and, uh, donate it to the, you know, Jim Henson company or, or whoever wants to take it, you know, right, we could, right. we could, we could donate it and maybe get our names like in one of the museums of the moving image or something.
0: Um, sure, right.
1: and, uh, and, and, uh, and I was like, okay, what is it? This sounds great. He's like, it is one of the boxes. Cause they have these, you know, if you imagine like the kind of box you would put an amp in, it's just a metal lined yeah. black yeah. box. And it just says, Dr. Teeth spray painted on them. It's just one of those things that was holding up the TV. And I was like, so we're going to buy a box that yeah. we could get a guitar center that we could spray paint Dr. Teeth on for, for 200 bucks for for, two, for, no, for 400. But I have to pay 200. Oh right, That's right
0: for $400, and, uh, each,
1: right. Yeah. And I was. And so and that's when I was I was just like, wow, people dig this stuff. Oh, yeah.
0: You ain't kidding.
1: And, you know, now that I think about it, I want that. So (laughs) I would I would love to have the Doctor Teeth uh, the box from Muppet Vision, but um, but you know I gotta throw it. You know we we you kind of mentioned it a few times, so let's just get it out of the way. Talk to me about prop stealing or prop, uh, you know what whatever you would call it. Uh, when people you know get in the way of these props or do something, you know they they go left unnoticed or in the Parks case they take them. They you know
0: here
1: you know. Anything
0: that people can reach and grab, people are going to be inclined to do that. And one of the things that happened, uh, I have I have a good relationship with the archive and 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 the Disney archive, and you know I've heard stories. Um, I won't mention any names, but one of the driving motivations of restoring the Honey I Shrunk the Kids laser was yes, mm-hmm. it was changed from episode from from the first movie. A little bit to the second and then fairly heavily to the third now after the third uh at some point it went down to the quote-unquote props department at hollywood park and was on display but as it moved around the display area sometimes the piece would be close enough to people to reach out and grab things and they would and they would pluck things off so a lot of detail got removed because somebody was able to take something home because it just, it happens. And that kind of thing, I I could, you know, it happened with other stuff there. And it would happen like in in studios, there's things that people would take home because they heard it was going to be destroyed and they didn't want it to be destroyed. So things got saved because people quote unquote stole things. Um, and there's mm-hmm. stuff that have been outright stolen, which, you know, is, is wrong. But the problem is, is this stuff has a, such a strong emotional connection to people and then that is a big motivation but then there's also because of the emotional motivation some people spent a lot of money to get these pieces and that financial thing is also a strong motivation so it's a complicated thing and i mean i could do an entire series of podcasts about uh you know stolen props and and stories about that but um it is just the nature of the beast you know and and the problem is when these things are one of a kind or one of three, because usually most things are not one of a kind in film, they have backups. But things like the 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 shrink ray in Honey, I Shrink the Kids, that was a one of a kind thing. Once you start pulling things off of it, you can replace it. It'll look as close as you can get it, but it's still not original. And to some people like myself, you know, it makes you sad. But it is the nature of, you know, the world of, of props and, and costumes and stuff
1: speaking of the archives uh, as my really weak segue mm-hmm. speaking of the archives you're walking through in I, at least one of these episodes i think in my maybe it was both the honey i shrunk the kids episode and the mary poppins episode uh, you're walking yep. through yep. what looks like the indiana jones warehouse at the end of raiders of the lost yep. ark very full much of so. things that i want to see uh, <laughs> so my question is i mean i'm sure that's a really you know incredible experience and i could talk to you about that all day but my one question about it is what did you walk by that you have, have you ever walked by something and said, open that up? I have to see that that you just like see the, the tag tag on that. You're just like, "Uh, what is in there?
0: Yes. Um,
1: Can you tell me what it is? And if you can, it's no big deal. Let me
0: think here. (laughs) Let me think here. Uh, I wanted to, and I actually did not get to open it. There was a crate in there that said Beast Hero Animatronic Head that was uh with the label from the um Disney's Beauty and the Beast. And uh that is is an interesting piece because uh a friend of mine, uh Dave Elsie, uh and his wife Lou Elsie, they were head of the uh effects department on that, the physical effects department. And they went in to build that thing for it to be used. And then ultimately they decided to go CGI. And I always wanted to see it. And I remember hearing about it from really early days. And I was like, oh my gosh, they have it here. That's awesome. I want to see it. But it just never, there wasn't a reason for them to, br- to break it out because we weren't doing that episode. So I didn't get a chance to see it. I was, It was, I, I multiple times had asked and, and they're like, yeah, when we have some time, we'll do it. But we're too busy shooting. So it never happened. But there was lots, I mean, like, you know, seeing Vincent uh, from Black Hole was just so cool, and there's there wasn't a crate around him, so you could see it up close and personal. Uh, and um, you know what else? Uh, being able to open up the wardrobe from Narnia and look inside and look at the back of it—it uh, it was it was pretty darn special. I mean, it's just there's so much stuff, and and you know, there's lots of cool things from the parks in there. Um, uh, it's uh it's pretty cool it's pretty cool do you remember any park stuff (sighs) yes um but i am sure i'm just going to tantalize you because i won't know exactly what is i remember they had a bunch of animatronic animals horses pigs and things like that i'm not sure they were from a ride that had been decommissioned they were very motion maybe it was world emotion maybe it was World. Well, yeah actually that might have been it um and they were just just super cool looking um they had a maleficent that might have been part of
1: was it was it monster maleficent or was it just maleficent maleficent
0: it would no no i'm sorry it was it was dragon maleficent
1: okay maybe that was an old fan like a previous version of fantasmic, fantasmic. Maybe. yes
0: yes that's okay what it yeah
1: gotcha. Yeah, that was the, super uh, cool. that was super cool. Wow. Man, I the you, the fact that you get to walk around there is just I mean, I I know it's probably crazy every time, but that's just like that's a dream. I yeah. um
0: it is I feel very very fortunate to be able to do that. Um and I, you know what? I I have been pitching bed uh Becky Klein from every from the first time I met her, is like, "Why we you guys need to do a museum?" She's like, "We know, we're it's complicated, but uh, it would—you know—it it would be amazing to see to see a Disney museum of all these retired artifacts from the parks mixed in with all of these amazing art pieces from uh, from their films. It would be Absolutely. so cool. But I mean, right now, yeah, you can I mean, Disney's—you know—losing money on the parks because of everything that's going on in the world. I can't see them—you know—looking to do something like that for a long time, which is disappointing, but very understandable
1: right the uh yeah and i mean they have they have little things you know they used to throw some theme park stuff out on the the studio back lot at mgm they they have the walt disney presents and they used to throw a few theme yeah. park stuff out there but especially in theme parks as with film as you mentioned a lot of times they just tear those suckers up and build them into something else as those they uh do. Especially, yeah. especially with animatronics that stuff's expensive you know the, the, the it is they're working so if you can if you can literally reskin <laughs> then it's uh, yep. saves a lot saves a lot but the uh but i mean even and... then
0: you know it's there's always the possibility of them saving the skin and the costume and putting it on a buck so that it looks like it did you know especially you know the the, the archive is is definitely uh, uh it's important to them to save stuff from the parks uh so they have been actively trying to keep stuff from important pieces from getting thrown away or or destroyed
1: do they have buzzy i'm just kidding the uh the, the, the guy from it's a it's a it's a joke inside the theme park community of a animatronic that was allegedly stolen from the parks and some people claim that the archives got him but didn't communicate it to the what, police. What, what's I don't the know. character his uh he's from an old epcot ride called cranium command uh it was actually one of oh gosh i'm blanking it's one of the pixar guys first one of his original projects with disney it was just this really simple ride of a of a kid that was inside the mind of a boy and he was he was going did you around do, and, did
0: you do a defunct land uh, that mentions this i remember hearing I, I, something about this at some point
1: yeah i mean i did it's on it's in the body wars episode which is like the star tours inside right the, uh, okay right in, yeah, yeah, inside yeah, yeah, the yeah. body so he shows up there, but, uh, but yeah, yeah, he's a, he's a character. He's a little, he's a little joke inside the uh, theme park community of was he really stolen? I, I
0: haven't seen him. Uh, he might be there in some crate, you know, where again, it's, it's like, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark at the end. It's just giant warehouse and yeah, I, I gotta be careful what I say Cause I want to be allowed back in. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well I will not I w I I won't I won't uh incriminate you, but I, I do wonder is there an actual like Ark of the Covenant in there somewhere so you could actually be walking by and say, Hey, there's a there's the Ark of the Covenant.
0: Yes, there is. There is? No, no, there's the there's <laughs> the MGM version. The one from oh my gosh. Um, the, Great the Great one from Movie Great Movie ride. ride. Yes. Oh wow, that's so funny. So yes,
1: it is like they have the Ark exactly of the Covenant. Of of it.
0: It's not from the film, but it's it's the one from the, the ride. Yeah the attraction
1: star Well the as much as I'm jealous of you for being able to do that I'm also equally jealous that you got to create a TV show and then as just part of your job got to be invited to walk on Pirates of the Caribbean
0: Yeah it was it was uh an experience let me tell you that I I want to know everything <laughs> Well uh, uh it was um It was early in our shoot. I think it might have been the second thing we did. And uh uh so the park is closed. We did it at night, um, which was just an experience to see the park with nobody in it. And um and we got to see backstage, which was amazing, you know. Um, and then to you know, to go into the Pirates of the Caribbean, you have to go up and down multiple different locations, depending on what parts of the, the attraction you want to uh, see. Um, we initially had tried to get the, the, the uh, boats to allow us to take us through it but because of safety issues uh, and the fact that the, they had to bring in additional people to run them, uh, we couldn't do that. So we had to go up and down every time. And it's, it's pretty far underground. Um mm-hmm. and you're going through restaurants and you're going through uh uh you're going through side doors and then these stairs that go down and then they turn around they go down again and they turn around and they go down again and then you get down to this area that is super humid because of course being cost effective and 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 uh appreciative to the um uh to the world around us they're not going to run the air conditioning when nobody's there. So it gets super warm, super humid, and you get down there, and you can just sense it, it. It 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 just hits you like a wall. You're like, oh my gosh, this is something different. This is something cool. And then you go and you start walking through these areas where you're seeing the back of of the facades of of the displays, and it's it's fiberglass, old fiberglass, and in some cases, rusted metal and and pieces of wood with old rusted nails and stuff because this is a ride that in a lot of ways still looks at least from the backside of it, the way it did when it was first built. Um, and uh, you know, you get out on on the display area and the, the cobblestones are extremely awkward to walk on because they're designed from a theater perspective so that you see it and you can, you can feel the way that the texture is, but they're not really designed to walk. I mean, they can handle you, but, you know, it's, it's awkward. And then you see the, the, the animatronic figures and everything's exaggerated a little bit and the makeup on them or the paints on them is done from a theater perspective. So, you know, it has a different effect, but it was so cool. It was just so cool to see the stuff up close and personal.
1: Is it creepy? Cause I've always thought it would be a little creepy. Is it a little, is it a little creepy or is it not?
0: Well, we had a fairly big group with us because, okay. It was one of the biggest shoots we had because it was early on, and then we had a lot of – uh we had Walt uh, – Di- magic – or we had uh, Disneyland people there. We had studio people there, and then we had our production team. Um So it wasn't creepy, but I could see if you were out down there, like just a few people walking around and turning the lights on, it would be super creepy, super creepy.
1: When you, when you described going through kind of the – the middle like all the different restaurant like all the the path you had i just imagined the that scene from monsters inc where uh mike and Sully are running through all the doors and it's yep. just like what's mm-hmm. behind this door and just over and over and over again and then eventually yep you're in the ride you find your way uh, there
0: boom you're there yeah
1: <laughs> that's uh and so you know i i'm of course blanking in the episode did they that animatronics were running for was it for the shoot or were they just all were they running the whole time
0: no, 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 they would turn the, they did turn them on uh when we get to an area. So they weren't running consistently. And they would actually turn the lights on for an area too cuz the lights would have been off. I think there, there were like a minimal lights but then they would turn the stage lights on uh or the the attraction lights on when we would get to an area.
1: You did, did you do any shooting in Orlando for this season?
0: We did not. We were we were planning on it. Um we were trying to uh we were doing a lot of research on what happened to a lot of the material that was at mgm before i'm sorry i keep calling mgm hollywood park before the star wars land stuff uh they had supposedly had a big warehouse where they kept a lot of the stuff but a lot of that stuff went away and then there were some pieces that we were trying to track down that may have just been thrown away um that uh we were trying to see if we could find him like just discarded in the the property but ultimately
1: um uh we couldn't we could we weren't able to do it because the only time i thought you might go down was for the muppet episode because they have right. a few muppet props there but i thought that was kind right. of the whole thing was like you know because it's set up almost like an investigation i felt that was almost too easy mm-hmm. <laughs> i was like <laughs>
0: yeah, we're going I mean, to the place the where that- the
1: props are on display <laughs>
0: Right. I mean, well, honestly, one of the one of the things we were going to do is we were going to go down. um, I don't think we ever considered doing it for the Muppet episode. We had other direction we wanted to go, but we were going to we were going to try and see the uh, one of the things we're trying to see is the the other Benny the Cab that used to be in one of the restaurants. And I can't tell you which one off the top of my head, but at, at the Hollywood Park which I guess uh, as of uh, middle of last year got moved. But there were two Benny the cabs that were built. The one that we saw with Charlie Corwell that he still has is the one that he said he used 95% of the time. In fact, he may have not used the other one because it was more robust and it was more generic. Um, the one that was down in Florida that Disney owned uh, had this this special mechanism built into it that allowed the wheelbase, while it's being driven, to be stretched out like a like a cartoon character. Uh, so that when Benny stretches back and forth, you, you would get the shadows and, the, and, and, and the, the way that hit the ground, it would look different. Ultimately, it didn't work very well and it was too hard to drive, so they didn't use it. But it is interesting and that is a piece that was kept uh, by Disney and was on display for a long time down there.
1: That's uh, I I don't re- recall that that one specifically. The uh, but I I I know there's so many Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I mean, that park was entrenched in either references or props. The other question, you know, is related to um, you know, the Muppet episode, which I know I keep going back to, but you know, it's very well documented that I love them. Uh, what was it like to hold? I mean, I uh, so. I every prop i'm sure has some sort of emotional significance but the the fact that you got to sit there with paul williams who wrote rainbow connection and have kermit's banjo there what was that just that interview like you know because he's he's such a big deal to me um and any muppet yeah fan. he
0: he is he's actually a pretty big deal to me too because uh i i do love the muppet movie and i would say it's probably my favorite muppet movie that and great muppet caper uh but of course i was younger when those movies came out so it really affected me um and the music in that movie is just spectacular but paul williams also wrote some music for one of my favorite films that a lot of people actually do not like a movie called ishtar and he had the distinguished uh job of trying to write music that sounded really intentionally really bad uh but not fake bad not hollywood bad like really like really bad and some of those songs you know i i i'm a fan of one of the things i like are is like bad movies um uh and one of my favorite series is mystery science theater 3000 because it it, it you know it riffs riffs on these all these really bad movies from the 50s and 60s and and 70s Um, and Ishtar is this like massive build, built film that was super, super costly, huge failure, actually, in some ways it's actually pretty good. But when you think about it in that context, everybody hates it. Um, (laughs) but the music is so great in a, in a weird, bad, intentionally fun, bad way. And, 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 you know, I got to meet Paul and we talked about that and, you know, uh, it was, it was, it was super cool, but, um, you know, the guy's, the guy's great. The guy was super friendly. Paul was, um, really sweet. Um, really happy to be there for us. Um, it was just, it was a lot of fun, uh, to, to experience, you know, Kermit's guitar or banjo. I keep calling it guitar Kermit's banjo with Paul Williams. Uh, it was a big moment for me. And I think, you know, it shows in the show. I mean, you know, yeah. it's, um, it's one of those great, great, uh, things that we were able to work out and he agreed to do. And and we were, we did it there on the Henson lot. It was awesome.
1: And then my last Muppets question is, I mean, you got to talk to Dave goals and you got to interview yeah. Gonzo the great. What was, I mean, I, I not, I don't want to just give you the, what was that like, but what was the decision-making process behind doing both? Because I thought that was, I mean, best moment in the series is when you hand Gonzo a hat and you're like, what does this mean to you? <laughs> Because you know, by yeah. then you know I hadn't watched all the episodes, but it's even funnier in hindsight. Because it's kind of what you've done to so many people, and they all have these very profound exactly. things to say. And then what does Gonzo and he's say? Just he's just like
0: it's a hat, nothing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> just just a piece of cloth. <laughs> and a that's cloth. it was so fantastic, fantastic joke. But what was the decision making process behind uh, interviewing both you know Dave Goles and Gonzo? Uh,
0: you know that is uh, there was a lot of. Uh... How do I say this? There was a lot of contention um, trying to get that set up. And honestly, I was against interviewing Gonzo from the beginning. And I'll tell you why. This is going to sound crazy. But I felt that this is a show about props. And this is a show about the artists. And Gonzo is a fictional character. Yes, I know. I'm sorry. I'm ruining it for some people. But I felt like I, I want to talk to Dave Goles. I don't want to talk to Gonzo. I don't want to have to treat Gonzo as a real person. I'd like to, if we're going to interview Gonzo, can I ask him about what it is like being a puppet, uh, being a Muppet? But of course, in the back of my head, I know that they're not going to allow that because that is the world of the Muppets is that they're working actors, right? So there was this mm-hmm. back and forth trying to figure it out. And I'm just like, I don't, you know, this is, this is a stunt. I don't want it to be a stunt, yada, yada, yada. And then we finally came to the point was, well, let's talk to Dave Goals. And in talking to Dave Goals, we can get Dave Goals because we'll be with him. We'll ask him, how do the Muppets see themselves? And by setting that up that way, that the, that the Muppets see themselves as working actors. Then when I talked to, to to Gonzo, in my head, at least, it's like, okay, we've acknowledged that he's a Muppet, and he's a puppet, and we've talked to the guy that not only puppeteered him, but, but originally, you know, helped build him, at least at some point, in 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 the, the puppet's, uh, you know, uh, history, and now I get to talk to the character of Gonzo, and being, and looking down, and Gabe Goals is at my feet, and it was one of the best things that we did, and it was such a wonderful moment, but it kind of came out of we're going to talk to Gonzo, not Dave Bowles. We're going to, you know, there's a point where we're thinking about, well, well maybe we can get Kermit and, but we're not going to talk to, you know, the, the Muppeteer. We're going to talk to um, uh, Kermit and, 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 and ultimately, you know, Gonzo, uh, it was wonderful to be able to talk to Don Gonzo, but even cooler to talk to Dave Bowles.
1: That, that's where it was. It was really special because I think it would have been nice to interview Kermit, but no way. I mean, dave is the was the puppeteer of gonzo for the muppet movie
0: and Gonzo's an important character in that movie
1: right uh, so but do you consider would you say you know you you you're the prop guy is a is a puppet a prop
0: uh is a muppet a problem yeah i yeah. physically yes um okay i mean it's a but it's a character i mean here you know look i'm i you know, I'm looking at it as a puppet of Jack Skellington. It's Jack Skellington. It's the okay. character. But it's also a puppet. You know, it's a stop motion puppet. Uh, you know, uh, honestly, a Muppet is not a Muppet in my mind until the puppeteer has actually put their hand in and is performing it. It's a, In my mind, it's a puppet. It's a prop. Once it actually comes to life. With the with the with the actor who is the puppeteer because the, let's be fair they're puppeteers but they're the actors that's when it comes to life that's when the Muppets are real and that certainly was the the case when I sat down with with, with Gonzo because it was <laughs> it was super cool and I remember and, and I'm sitting there thinking I was so against this initially <laughs> and now look at what's happening this is just such an amazing moment now, I mean for myself certainly but for the show as well. So it was, it was, it was amazing. It was so cool.
1: That, and that's the, that way of looking at puppets. That's how uh, Jim Henson did too. He would throw them to the ground yeah. and there was, yeah. there was certain pu- puppeteers that would come up and be like, no, this is a character. And he's like, it's just a it's a piece of cloth. So that's a, I, I like, I like that outlook. Um, are you a flight of the navigator fan? Did I read, did I read that somewhere?
0: I I am a fan of flight of the navigator. Yes.
1: Do you know anything about one of the ships being at the magic Kingdom yes. at walt disney world I've, it's I've, it is I've
0: seen it and pointed it out to people
1: okay good it that is because i've always heard that that's one of the ships and it looks very similar but i didn't know if it was one no, it is. that it is that red rocket ship is one of them so was, they basically
0: so... uh added some fins to it gave it a new pant job and and put it on top and, and it is the uh it's an ice cream store i'm not sure what it's called but it's, it's an ice cream shop um, And if we if we get a chance to do Flight of the Navigator as an episode, you can guarantee you we're going down to Walt Disney World uh, <laughs> and you're going to gonna point to, to see it. Yeah, yeah,
1: that's awesome. I, I was I was wondering that because as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, I I know where a, where a secret. I guess it's not real to Disney fans. Everyone's like, hey, that used to be on the backlot tour, and then they painted it and threw it up there. Um, but yeah, that's. But here's that's... the thing:
0: if you're if you're a fan of that movie, you're going to look at that that. Piece, It's not changed so much. So you can immediately see, oh my, yeah, that, that's, that's the ship. That's the ship that has to be the ship. And again, I remember seeing it at the Hollywood park in the back lot, you know, where it would get sun bleached and they'd repaint it and get sun bleached and they'd repaint it. But, you know, that's just the nature of theme park life for these things.
1: I have a, uh, uh, just a question about you specifically and your work as host on the show. Uh, what was that like? I don't, I mean, I, I know you've done some other things on camera before, uh, but probably not to this extent. Uh, no, I,
0: my, my on-camera stuff in the past have been tiny little cameos for my own projects. Um, this was, I, I, I would say I went into it completely green, but, um, the, 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 the reason when I when we went and sold the show to Disney, we said, you know, I am happy to do the host, to be the host. I can see that you might not want me to be the host, which I completely understand. But whoever we get has to be authentic to the world that we're in. It can't be some celebrity that doesn't understand it. It needs to be somebody who is, you know, handled props and is a, a collector or something of that sort. And from the very the beginning they were like oh no you're you're great for this um, but i i i I prefer to be behind the camera, not in front of the camera, but because of my comfortableness with this material, knowing the history of of these people and having been talking to people like this in the prop world for years, just because of my obsessive collection, um, I already had a kind of uh, like I would sit there and yes, I'm aware of the camera, but I, these, these weren't interviews. These were conversations. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's how I look at it. And that's how I, and, and, and that's how we shot it. These things were conversations. I, yes, there would be talking points I would have, but they were conversations. And then we would take that and trim it down and, and do it. So, you know, our interviews were longer than t- traditional interviews because they were conversations. And I think that's one of the reasons that I was able to, uh, in retrospect, elicit some strong reactions by people because, I, you know, I'm not some professional host who's trying to get them to cry on, on cue or or just hit the points. It, I literally am treating them like a human because
1: that's what they are to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. The uh, And there's certain times in the interviews where it seems as though the emotion, I don't want to say caught you off guard because you handled it so well and professionally, but it was almost like, you like this was not a show where I felt like oh this is when someone's gonna cry it always came up so much like oh my gosh like to the point where I was like oh this is getting this is getting real like serious because a lot of right, shows will lead right, up right. to it and you can tell this is kind of the direction they're heading but there's times where like they're just kind of looking at it and they like look at it for too long and then they just break mm-hmm. you know so yeah. What, yeah. what what is that like what is it like to you know you've been in the prop world you know but you're interviewing a lot of people with has a lot of strong ties to this is there any one any one interview this season that you came out of it going like, wow, that was just powerful or that person really responded well to this, you know, just like as a, as a person to person.
0: From my perspective, um, I mean, Karen Do trees and Dee, Dee wood were both pretty strong, um, reactions, which we weren't, uh, I certainly wasn't. I don't think our team was expecting it. Um, you know, you, you, you try and set this thing, these things up so that there's a natural reaction to these people, but they're they're in control of what they're doing and what they're saying. And you're just, you're showing them things. And and in the case of like um, Karen, you know, she brought that hat that just happened to, the hat that she has in her own collection just happened to be uh, connected to the, to the coat that I, my friend owned, Jason White owned. And, and we brought, and it was just a, it's a great moment. Um, You know, Dee Dee Wood, uh, she, um, she was super sweet and uh, had a lot of great memories. And she, you know, I, you know, she, I wasn't expecting, I mean, the thing about it is I don't, I wasn't expecting, I was expecting people to, to care about this stuff because I care about it. And I know that they have a personal connection to it, but I've also shown things to people in the past that they don't care about this stuff. You know, they don't like, it's, it's just another prop, but by picking the films, the long, you know, the the further out these films are the more rare these pieces are and the more important these films are to these people, the more, you know, if you think about it from a logical standpoint, the more they're probably going to mean something to people. And that's what we found out in doing the show is you know, this stuff means something to people, especially if the film was important to them in their life. And, and and it was a big part of who they identify themselves with and bringing this nostalgia and these pieces through. It kind of helps draw that out. But that was that wasn't necessarily by design. Sure. That kind of came out of the the genuineness of the, of what we were trying to do, I think.
1: Yeah, and it it shows that it wasn't by design. I think that's what, and and going back to you being the host, I thought that was one of the things that for me was so special. Um, not just because you're a cool guy, but you seem like a cool guy, um, so that that helps. Not just because <laughs> I'm of that. a big
0: doofus, man. I just right place, right time.
1: <laughs> well, you know, but also because it's just to see someone to not have a celebrity that's a host or not even not even a celebrity not just to have a host type character right, to have someone right, that right, right you could tell that like i mean you were just throwing stuff back at them and that's what you don't get on certain shows and that's why it's so inc- mm-hmm. this show is so great where they would say something and you had more information in your head which with other shows when it's just a host they'd be like that's great but you were like oh yeah because of this and you'd give them right. reasons for why certain things were there that they didn't know and so it just created such a well, so it's again, a great environment
0: yeah, but that's that all comes down to that these were conversations. you know we were talking about something that we both knew something about, and we were adding to each other's kind just like you do when you sit down and have a conversation with somebody you want to talk to you know it's like you and I we're back and forth it's just a conversation the The brilliance of that is that our editing team was great, and they were able to take what at times was difficult, where I would talk over people. And be able to work with that and and find those moments and and not make it obvious that we're getting to these places because you know editing is 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 so important, especially in these documentary shows
1: you mentioned a few times things that you know you were surprised you like with the gonzo thing or things that uh, uh you know you you wanted to do more of what is just as a as a final kind of wrapper up, what's the one thing you're most proud about for this show you created? um what's it, it could be an element anything i mean what is what's the thing that you look at and you're like right there that's i'm i'm most proud of that
0: uh i would say that i i'm probably most proud that we were able to make a show that stuck with what our goals were when we 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 sold the show because that does not always happen in fact in a lot of cases it doesn't um, that we had an idea that was strong enough that the studio liked it and didn't want to change it and 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 the stuff that they did make changes to ultimately were the right decision um and I feel like uh you know like like the length of the show um you know, I remember when we were going from an hour to a half hour, I'm like, oh, we're losing so much good stuff, you know i was I was too close to it I was like oh this this sucks.' and then as as time went on I realized well this is actually right for the show and looking back at that it was like all these things happened I'm just proud that that's you know we were able to do something that you know is is familiar but yet unique and 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 people like it that's you know and that we were able to connect with an audience and that the, you know not only the broad audience but the people like yourselves that actually dig the stuff really liked it too that that made me feel really good you know a lot of my prop friends have have told me they really like the show, and I can tell they're not just you know kissing my butt. They actually do like the show, which is cool.
1: Yeah, that's I'm. I mean, that's how I feel as a fan. All I'm hearing is though hashtag release the Lanigan cut because there's there's more out there. So that's, no, there is uh, more we'll, out there. We'll get that trending. We'll, we'll the, get uh... the, we'll get
0: that trending. You know, don't call it the <laughs> Lanigan cut. There's, there's a lot of people that were involved in that, but. uh but certainly <laughs> the extended cuts would be interesting. Or honestly, right. what we'd love, one of the things that we'd like to do is, is if we don't get that, I mean, it would be great to do like one extended interview cut of one of the more interesting interviews in each episode,
1: you know, a 10 oh, minute long, too.
0: that would really be, I think there'd be a lot of great stuff that people haven't heard. Um,
1: yeah. Oh, I'm sure. That they would oh, find sure.
0: really interesting. Yeah.
1: Well that's so. great and I I just want to send over my uh thanks not only for you coming on today thank you for that but also for making a show that could entertain you know it's entertaining a broad audience for sure but also a show that doesn't speak down to us fans and that's that's really special and and really hard to do especially on the platform of such a broad yep. audience but like yep. you really well, thank you. made something special and something something really great that I I've shown to a bunch of people and uh so you got a fan here and uh also thank you so much for coming on today
0: absolutely absolutely i'm glad to be here if you ever want to talk about other stuff give me a heads up
1: oh uh don't don't open that door because i will never close it but uh thanks so much for coming on today to everyone listening thank you for listening don't forget to rate review and subscribe to the podcast and thank you for visiting defunct (laughs) land